A guy named Joseph Parker was a pastor of note in England uh, back in the late 1800s. He pastored the famous City Temple of London. And once when he took to the pulpit of that great church, he, uh, he uh, made an announcement about a critic. He said this, he said, I am under great trepidation as I begin today. A gentleman wrote to tell me that he would be here in our audience this day for the express purpose of making a philosophical analysis of this very sermon. And after a pause, he added this about his critic. He said, I may add that my trepidation is somewhat mitigated by the fact that the gentleman spelled philosophical with two F's. Those of you who don't get that, just try to look up that word later, philosophical, and maybe uh, you'll giggle a bit later. Being criticized is no fun. We've all felt it. And many of us have learned that often enough, any crit- the criticism we receive is unfounded or it comes from someone who has bad or selfish motives. And as we're going to see in the two verses we read today, much criticism is wrong. It, 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 the Bible call it sinful. On the other hand, though, we are an imperfect group of people, are we not? And often enough, we're not even always aware of all of our imperfections. True? So wouldn't it be true that sometimes the best thing we can hear is criticism? What's best for us? How do you know when it's good or when it's bad? Or to look at this from the other direction. Maybe it's best for you that I come to you and tell you something difficult to hear. But, but how do I know if I need to confront how do I know if it, if it really will be good or if I'm just kind of being a jerk? How do you know? Well, this morning we're just going to read two verses from the book of James, and they are about a sinful kind of critical speech. James has talked a lot about our words, the power of our tongues, how much havoc our words can wreak reap and the, and the damage they can do. He's talked about our, how we fight because of the desires we have that, that don't get met, which leads us to say things that would be regretful. Few things can damage worse than critical words, but again, sometimes they're necessary. Let's read our two verses this morning, and we're going to travel around to some other places in the Bible to see if we can't get a handle on the difference between good and bad criticism or biblical and unbiblical judgment. Let's start in James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 only. Not sure what I did right there, but still not sure what I'm doing right there. Oh, that's me. 
User error seems to be the problem here, and I am the user. Thank you. All right, James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you when you judge your neighbor? There's our passage this morning. There are few sins more scarlet to our society than being judgmental. In fact, seems like there are some people who don't think anything is wrong except someone who tells them they are wrong. And oftentimes, someone will quote what I often call the unbeliever's favorite verse. Judge not, lest ye be judged. There's this idea that because of a few verses that are in the Bible, like judge not, lest ye be judged. Like the passage we just read from James, where James said, do not speak against another, another person, at least another Christian. Do not, uh, and who are you to judge? I mean, the Bible says that. And so we can have this idea that what that means is, No one can tell me I'm doing anything wrong because that would violate those scriptures. And those those verses are quoted like they're showstoppers, conversation enders. You come to me and you tell me, hey, Matt, here's something I see you're doing wrong. You're not being honest, right? And I want to say, judge not. Right? And then it's like the, the curtain's supposed to close on our conversation. It's just over. It's the trump card. Whatever these verses mean, it can't work like that. that just, it doesn't hold up to logic at all. Whatever James meant this morning in this passage, when he said, you cannot speak against one another. Right? You can't judge Whatever he means, and we'll get into that, he can't mean that there is never a time when one Christian can point out what another Christian is doing is wrong. He can't mean that. You know how I know? The book of James. Like James has done nothing since he started this book except tell us what we're doing wrong. And I don't know about you, but I have felt very judged by the book of James. And, and if you haven't, I mean, if, you have, if you've been here as we've gone through the book of James and you haven't thought, man, this James is just continuing to punch me in my guts, like then you're not paying attention or you're not being honest or you're not letting this book read you. So whatever James means, he can't mean. You can't ever tell someone they're doing something wrong or he's been in violation of that the whole time. There's more logical reasons this judge not stuff can't work this way. Because, to use our example, you come to me and tell me I'm doing something wrong. If I pick up my Bible and say, look, it says right here, you can't judge me. Well, what gives me the right to quote 
that verse to tell you what you're doing wrong when what you were doing was bringing another verse to me to tell me what I was doing was wrong. How come I get to use that one and you don't get to use the one you brought to me? It doesn't work logically, but listen, it's worse than that. It doesn't work at all biblically. That doesn't hold a thimble full of water. Because did you know, we are actually commanded by the Bible over and over and over again to do exactly what I told you you can't do when I said you can't judge me. Actually, not only can you, but in certain cases you must. We could spend a lot more time doing this, but I found six verses that I want to share with you this morning that command Christians to point out what is wrong in other people. First, Matthew 18, Jesus says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. I don't know how you're supposed to do that without making a judgment about what they've done. Galatians 6.1, number 2. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass or sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Again, you can't, you can't go and tell someone they are caught in a sin and try to restore them without making some sort of judgment. Number three, Jesus again from John 7. Do not judge according to appearance, but, and here's a command, judge with righteous judgment. Four, Paul in 2 Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, correct, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Fifth, 1 Thessalonians, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And then the sixth one, even in the judge not lest ye be judged passage is actually a teaching by Jesus to tell us how to judge correctly, not to prohibit all what we call judgment. It reads this way, Jesus writes, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when the whole time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, but then catch this. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That remove the speck from your brother's eye is about noticing what's wrong, which takes a judgment. We are commanded to judge. But what, is it, what does it look like if you do that well? Because there's obviously a kind of judgment we're not supposed to do. That's what James talked about today. Before we get to what wrong judgment looks like, Let's answer this. What is right, correct? Jesus said, judge with a righteous judgment. What's that look like? Well, a scholar named Stuart Weber, he paraphrased uh, this passage from Jesus uh, really well. He said this. 
So Jesus' whole teaching there says this, Do not judge others until you are prepared to be judged by the same standard. And then, when you exercise judgment toward others, do it with humility. So correct judgment. First, is pointed inward. It uses the same standard against me before I come to you. And then, it is humble. It's filled with humility, which just means it's others-focused. Before I come to you to correct you, I, I need to take a look at myself. But also, I come to you, or you should come to me, because we want to help the other person. Abraham Lincoln said this this way. He used to say, he has, he has the right to criticize who has the heart to help. Right judgment is aimed at helping the other person. It is concerned for their heart, their well-being. That's what, it, that's what humble means. It's bound and, and by love. And remember how we define love around here. Love is the desire and the work to see what God says is best happening in someone else's life. So correct judgments, motivated by love. I'm coming to you because I love you. Because I want to see God's best happening in your life. Because what is going on right now is not what's best. Not for me, for you. Will that require us to make some judgments along the way? Of course it will. Of course it will. So that's right judgment. But there is a kind of judgment. Like I'm not trying to wash away what James said today. Or Jesus' warnings to be very careful doing judgment. There is a kind of judgment. There are ways to judge. There are kinds of criticism that God hates. And the rest of us aren't crazy about it either. That's what James talks about in today's passage. One reason for the, the confusion is because the word judge or judgment, like most words, it has a, has a range of meaning. It doesn't always mean the same thing. Like the word, I always use the word bark for my example, right? Sometimes the word bark means the, the, the surrounding layer of a tree's trunk. It's the bark. Other times it means the sound a dog makes, right? It's the same word. The context tells us what it means. Judge. Judgment is the same way. Sometimes to judge just means to make a selection. We have a, we have a chili cook-off every fall here. We're not violating the scriptures when we judge the chili cook-off. We're just making a selection. Other times uh, to judge means to gather facts, and to come to a decision. And that can be good for the other person. There's, can, not only can there, not be anything, can there be nothing wrong with that kind of judgment, it's commanded of us as we just saw. But then, sometimes this word judge or judgment is just a synonym for condemnation. Like to fall into the judgment of God. 
When the Bible talks about that, it's talking about condemnation, like eternal condemnation. This wrong judgment, then, is something like this. It is is condemnation based on comparative righteousness and the judge's unmet needs. That's my best stab at defining the kind of judgment the Bible prohibits. Condemnation that's based on comparative righteousness and the judge's unmet needs. Here's what I mean by that. When James has been talking about unmet needs, when, when the driving force of my life are my needs, my wants, my felt needs, how I want to feel, what I want to have, and then you do something that makes some of my needs feel unmet. I don't, you make me feel a way I don't want to feel. And then I come to you with criticism that is basically condemning you for how wrong and how bad you are. That's, I've gone someplace. The Bible doesn't allow me to go. Wrong judgment is always at least as much based upon the one doing the judging. It's at least as much much about them, the judge, as it is about the person they're supposedly trying to help. Because right judgment is about helping them. Wrong judgment is about if I'm the one judging you, it's about me really not feeling the way I want to feel, blaming you, And then when I come to you, I want to compare my righteousness with yours. I want to prove to you how I compare favorably. I am the more innocenter one between us. You're the more guiltier one between us. Therefore, I get to sort of punch down at you. I am the one who should be listened to in this. That's wrong. Every time. That's the kind of, when James says in verse 11, we shouldn't be speaking against another person. That's what he's talking about. This kind of slander where, because of the way you made me feel, I want to run you down in my heart. And very quickly, that turns into running you down to other people. Because I want to compare favorably to you. And then James says something really interesting about this kind of judgment. James says, when I get into that kind of judgment, and come on, we've all been there. James says, we're not only an unjust judge of this other person we are coming to, we're talking badly about. We've made ourselves a judge of the law, he says. We are, we're not just slandering the other person, we're slandering the law. And I want to explain why that's true, or the point James is trying to make. Several weeks ago, we were in James chapter 2, and, and James quoted from the Old Testament law what he called the royal law, or the king law. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he called the royal law. Basically, it's the most important one because 
if you can do that one, you get the rest of them for free. If you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to have a problem not stealing from them, not lying to them, right? But if we zoom out and take in the context where the royal law comes from, it'll help us see what James means when he says, when we do wrong judgment, we're actually setting ourselves over the law itself. Check this out. Oh, here's where he says, so anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges against them, but judges and speaks against the law. Here's Leviticus 19, beginning in verse 16. The law says, you must not go about as a slanderer among your people. You shouldn't go around talking bad about folks. Verse 17, you must not hate your brother in your heart. You must surely reprove or correct your fellow citizens so that you do not incur sin on account of him. You must not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the children of your people, but you must love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Here is yet another place, our seventh this morning, if you're keeping track, where the Bible tells us we must judge. We must correct, reprove, admonish. But we cannot do that well, correctly, biblically, with hate in our hearts. We cannot do that from a place of a grudge against that person, where I'm constantly collecting evidence to support the conclusion I've already come to about that person that I have condemned them as a bad guy. We can't do it to pay them back out of a place of vengeance. And James says when we do those things, what we're actually doing is we are placing ourselves as as a judge over the law. Here's what that looks like. Here's what we're doing. We would be saying something like this. I know what the Bible says about not talking bad about other people. I know what the Bible says about not holding a grudge. About lashing out in anger. About you name it. I know what it says, but... If you will just listen to the list of charges I have against this other person, you will agree with me that in this case, it's allowable. See, in that sense, James says, I have made my, I've put myself over the law. Like that law, that's good for other people in other situations. But me, I'm above that. And that's why James writes what he writes next in verse 12. James 4, 12. There's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge. The one who's able to save and destroy. That's the Lord Jesus. But you, who are you to condemn your neighbor? James is saying doing judgment the way we normally do it. Where we do the comparative righteousness thing. We should not be in that business. There's only one person 
The Lord Jesus, who can do judgment that way, who can, can look at what's right and what's wrong and decide, I compare so favorably to the standards of behavior that we can do comparative righteousness. We'll see who kept the law well, who has kept the law poorly, and whoever is the, is the innocent one wins. Jesus is the only one who can do judgment that way. And listen, that day's coming. People are going to stand before Jesus who think, I've lived a pretty good life. He's going to let me into eternal life because, and they're going to have a list of good things they did and sins they avoided. But James has already told us, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. The law is a package deal. Brett and I were talking about that this, this week and he shared an illustration he had heard that I thought was so helpful. He says, the, the law was like a window. Like I could take, I could take my clicker, right? And, and go to the back of the sanctuary and fire this thing right through the lower left-hand corner of that window back there, right? And just go right through, punch a hole through, shatter some glass. The deacons would be really mad that I did that. And if they asked me, what were, you, what were you doing? Why'd you do that? How much sense would it make if I pointed to the upper right-hand corner and said, hey, the glass isn't broken up here at all. It's only broken down here. That would be ridiculous because the window is either broken or it's not broken. That's the law, folks. And when you and I get in the comparative righteousness game when we're doing judgment, when we're confronting what we're doing is like when we start counting the cracks in your glass versus the cracks in my glass, how many holes are punched through, we're measuring and we decide, see, I have way fewer cracks in my glass than you have in yours. Therefore, I am the more innocenter. I am the one to be listened to here. James says, when we get, when we get started doing that, we're comparing ourselves to the wrong person. There's only one who can play that game. Because there's only one who lived his entire life without breaking the glass. That's why he was able to go to the cross and suffer for someone else's sin. If he had sins of his own, he would have had to die for his own sins. But he had none, so the Father took all of our glass breaking and put it on him and punished him instead of us because his glass was pristine. This is why James asks us the question he asks us at the end. When we get into the comparative righteousness sort of judgment, that's when we should hear James ask us, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Do you really think you've done so much good that you can criticize whatever good that person has done? Do you really think you've avoided so much sin that you can pile on and count the sins of that other person and and punch down 
I know this is tempting. It's tempting to me too. This is the way we normally do confrontation and judgment. I also know you can be in a conflict, in a contention with someone, and it's very true that one of you probably has sinned more sins than the other person. Like, just logically, we have not. We're not equally sinful because we've all sinned the same number of sins and the same kinds. That's illogical. It's just that the comparison is not helpful. It does no good. Because we've all broken the glass. It's shot. It doesn't do me any good to compare my righteousness to yours to decide who's, who's better or worse and who has the upper hand. It's like we've both, because of our sin, toppled off into the depths of the Grand Canyon. And you might be a little ways downstream of the, of the river from me, and so I might be a little bit higher elevation-wise from you, but we're still stuck in this giant canyon we have no hope of getting out of. So the fact that I'm a little higher than you or you're a little higher than me makes no difference, and it's unhelpful. When we compare ourselves to him, that should humble us. Show us like we're, we are equally lost. We're equally in need of help. We're equally in need of mercy and grace. Who am I to look down on anyone else? So then what do we do? What do we do with this? Do we throw up our hands and say, well, see, that's why no one can make any judgments about another person because your glass is broken too. That can't be right because then we're in violation of all those other scriptures we had on the screen that command us we have to. So what do we do? First, we remember We are helpers much more than we are judges. If I I see you doing something that is not good for you, for your family, for your community, for your church, I've got to come to you with a heart that we, we are equals and I'm trying to give you a boost. I am not a superior trying to punch down or condemn. I've got to come to you with with the kind of love that will help. Because I want to see what God says is best happening more and more in your life. But even then, man, that, that judgment better be gentle. Galatians 6.1 is a very helpful text with this. You see someone else caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, and Paul had told us that means my judgment should be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. You are spiritual, not moral, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. I'm an equal trying to give a boost 
Second, before you go approach that next person in a conversation that needs to happen, remember Jesus taught our judgments will affect our judgment. That's the Matthew 5 passage, Matthew 7 passage that we read a minute ago. The judge not passage. Here's what I believe Jesus is teaching. When we stand before him in judgment, and I don't mean whether or not we get into heaven, I mean that the judgment seat of Christ that we've talked about, where all of us who are Christians will redeem, saved, getting ready to head into heaven people, we will have our lives judged. Jesus taught the way you judged is going to be judged. And I should ask my, and he said, the way you judge that person that you're getting ready to go talk to, Jesus say, I am going to judge the way you judge. And I will do my judgment of your judgment the same way you do your judgment of that person. Here's what that means. When you stand before Jesus someday, do you want him to do the comparative righteousness thing with you? Do you want to say, all right, here's how we'll do this. We're going to see who is better. Me, Jesus, or you, you wicked sinner. <laughs> and whoever wins wins and whoever loses gets condemned. No. No. So I shouldn't be approaching judgment with another person based on comparative righteousness because I don't want Jesus to measure me the same way. So the other way to do it, but what if? What if I come to you and say, Stephen, man, this is really hard for me, but I, I've got to talk to you about something. It's not good for you. I love you. Can we have a conversation? And I, and I explain to him something that needs to change in a way where he may tell me to kick rocks, tell me I'm wrong. But at least I've communicated my heart that I, I really want what's best for him. I want to help. If that's the case, when I stand before the Lord someday, he'll judge that judgment and say, hey, I want to help because you wanted to help. I think that's a rewardable thing. However eternal rewards work, our judgments are going to affect our judgment. So we must. We must correct. We must rebuke. We must confront. But we never condemn. We never slander. We guard our hearts. And we're gentle. Because that's how the Lord has been with us. And if we do this right, it's how he will be with us when we stand before him. Can we do that? Easy preaching, hard living. Can we do that? Let's pray. Our Father, our great judge, um, I, we are so grateful that you chose to pour out the worst of your judgment on the one who knew no sin. Thank you for making the Lord Jesus our substitute to bear the brunt of the condemnation that we deserve. And thank you that now there is no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you desired to help, to come for us, to come alongside us. But Lord, we're not very good at being that way toward the people who hurt us. We seek justice. We seek revenge. We seek to pay back. We bear a grudge. So Lord, will you 
Will you train us to be righteous judges? So that we would do less of the comparative righteousness thing and more of the lend a hand, be an equal, give a boost. That one day you might look on how we judged one another and be proud that you'd be glorified. That some would even come to know you as Savior on how we judge, not be disgusted by how we judge. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Stand up with us and we'll finish our time together.